Good morning. It's great to see you. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Providence Church. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad that you are here. I know um, there are folks that are here for the first time, so thanks for coming. Uh, we're glad, glad that you are in this place today. If you're worshiping with us online right now, welcome in. Uh, we, uh, we're glad that you're with us and feel like you're just right here in the room with us. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Uh, we're glad that you chose to be here with us on this special day. I look out and I see a lot of awesome fathers, a lot of great dads, a lot of dads who love the Lord, who love Jesus, and um, we, we want to honor you today. Um, also, I know that for some of us, this is a difficult day. We may be far away from dad or lost dad or, or um, just have, you know, um, life's complex, right? So we just kind of lift all that up and, and acknowledge that today is a special day. Uh, after the service is over, uh, we have a great little place out there. You can get a picture taken with your, your favorite dude who might be here today, and uh, we would love for you uh, to do that. We've been looking this summer at songs, old songs that hold special meaning for us as a way of teaching us. And the song I want to share with you today uh, has these core lyrics to it. It says, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Some of you guys know that one? We've heard that one. Yeah, we've, we've seen over the last few weeks that some of these old songs, not for all of us, but for some of us, these songs can take us back to another place, maybe even take us back to a moment in time. Even if you don't know that song, most of us can relate to having some songs in your life. When you hear it, you're like, oh, I was, I was here for a moment, and now I'm, I'm back there. Like, I think of this, there's this song my mom would sing over me and my brother as a lullaby. It's a James Taylor song. And if I hear that song, or sometimes even just James Taylor, I'm just like right back, you know, in that in that spot. Uh, I told you guys, Rachel and I, my wife, we love Tom Petty. And the reason is when we first started dating, I was a pizza delivery guy with a bright future ahead of me. And uh, she would come and she would ride with me as I delivered pizzas, which I'm sure was against company policy, uh, but it was fun. And we would drive around delivering these pizzas and we would listen to Tom Petty. And so now, uh, still today, if, we hear, if I hear Tom Petty, I can smell pepperoni pizza. <laughs> And I feel in love. So it's like, that's why I love, I love Tom Petty. I had a lady, uh, our first week when we did this series, we sang uh, How Great Thou Art. Then sings my soul, my savior, God to thee. She caught me out on the sidewalk after church was over and she said, when I hear that song, I'm 10 years old again. And I said, really? And she said, yes. She said, they sang that song at my dad's funeral. I was like, goodness, I was like, I didn't know that, I, that you lost your dad when you were 10 years old. And she said, yeah. And my first reaction is I said, I said, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that we sang the song, you know. And, and she said, no, I'm so grateful. Um, because even though that was a painful day, uh, there's a strength in the connection of the song, right? Because the song is connecting us to our faith. And so songs have the ability to take us back. But what I want to talk to you about today is not just that they take us back to a place, but also with God's word and then they have the power to, to move us forward, even pull us through. Anybody need to be pulled through something today, right? Just kind of moved through. Well, it has the power to do that. And we're not looking at music this summer uh, for the sake of nostalgia or just kind of feeling good, which I love that. I love sentimentality. I love to, you know, to, to think about delivering pizzas with Rachel and all that kind of stuff, Right. But the reason that we're studying uh, these ancient songs this summer is because of a verse in Colossians and others like it that say this, the word of Christ must live in you richly. So Paul's writing to a new church saying God's word needs to dwell in you. It needs to have a home in you. 
And the way that he's telling a new church to do that is to teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So this exercise for us this summer is very intentional. We are seeking to get God's word lodged in our hearts to teach each other and to warn each other as a way, yes, of looking back, but also looking forward. And what I want to share with you today uh, is a really uh, awesome old story about a song that was sung in a critical moment in the faith story that lodged the people in their history and then pushed them forward where God wanted them to go. And to tell that story, I'm going to tell you about two things that the people of God, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, took with them when they left slavery out of captivity and then went into the wilderness headed towards the promised land. So we're going to pay attention to, to two different things that they took with them. First, you have to understand that the people of God had been in slavery for 430 years in Egypt. It had started really good with a guy named Joseph, a patriarch of sorts, one of their, their leading guys, and everything was great. But quickly, the Hebrew people were made enslaved to the Pharaoh for 400 years. About 400 years into it, there was a significant moment. A baby boy was rescued out of the Nile River in a time where they were killing the firstborn of all of the Hebrew slaves. And this baby boy was pulled out, his older sister was standing by in the reeds watching as her baby brother is floating away. Her name was Miriam. And the daughter of the Pharaoh pulls this baby out. His name becomes Moses, which literally just means to be pulled out of the water, drawn out of the water. And so Moses is pulled out of the water and his sister Miriam says to the, the princess, says, hey, I know someone who will take care of that baby. And they, she gets her back to the mother. It's this great plan. But Moses grows up the prince of Egypt and he becomes the one, long story to get to there, but becomes the one that leads the people out of captivity. And it's on a night where everything has gone crazy. Everything has gone haywire. And in fact, in this night called the night of the Passover, all of the firstborn boys of, of Egypt were being killed. It was a terrible, horrendous night. And they realized that it's connected to these slaves. And they said, so get these people out of here. This has to stop. It says the Egyptians urged them urge the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise they said we will all die. That was the answer to the problem. They didn't understand all the plagues that had come before and that God was saying to set my people free. They just said get these people out of here. And so you have this nation of slaves who are now raising up out of their camps and out of their shacks to try to get their stuff together and get out. It says, it says the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The picture that we're getting is this is a hasty exit from Egypt. They're just picking up dough, putting it in clothes, and putting it on their shoulders. And it says, with the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread, if you've ever heard of that. It comes from this moment when they didn't have time. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. So again, the point we're trying to get is that this ragtag group is now hastily getting out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. It's an important detail. There was a way that you would have gone from this place in Egypt to where they were uh, going back up into to their land that they were from. But God led them on a different way. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So this is what God did. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. It's the way that nobody would go. In fact, it was a way 
way that you couldn't go. It was impassable because of this great sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt, 600,000 slaves that had accumulated over 430 years are walking, some verses say, in military ranks. They're just lined up, 600,000 of these folks carrying their dough on their shoulders, walking out of Egypt into the wilderness. And then very important, it's the first thing I want you to see that they brought. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph. All this is happening, right? And Moses remembers, we gotta get the bones of Joseph because Joseph made us swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Moses remembers it and they actually go and get Joseph's, their ancestors' bones as a reminder of a promise that God had made through their patriarch Joseph that one day he would rescue them and lead them out. And so off they go. They go into the wilderness. As we've said, it's a, it's a way with the Red Sea. It's not gonna happen. And so when they make it there, 600,000, they are stopped by this impassable, impenetrable, you know, uncrossable sea. And the people of Israel say to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Did you have to bring us out here into the wilderness to die? Moses, though, I love the Moses of this part of the story. He is so locked in to the voice of God that even in that kind of resistance and that tension and that fear, Moses is listening to God and he lifts his staff and he says, stand still and see what the Lord is gonna do. Some of y'all know the story. The Red Sea splits in two. It just opens up. And they find themselves, I mean, what else do you do? Walking across dry land in the middle of a sea with walls of water on either side of them. 600,000. It takes hours for them to walk through the Red Sea. But when they get on the other side, well, here's what it says. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea. So they'd been standing there waiting, and there'd been the thundering army of the chariots of Pharaoh coming after them. And now when they came into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. It was then that Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, Moses' sister, took a timbrel in her hand, a tambourine, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing, and Miriam answered them. Miriam, the one who had seen her baby brother drawn out of the water of the Nile. Miriam, who now is seeing her brother leading them through the Red Sea. She sings a song and says, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. In the most fearful, chaotic moment, the people of God have been rescued, and Moses remembers to bring the bones of Joseph, and Miriam remembers her tambourine. <laughs> Think about it. When the night of the Passover was happening and she's gathering up her kids and her nieces and her nephews, Miriam, who's in her 90s, goes somewhere into a closet in the tent and grabs her tambourine and puts it in her knapsack. She's believing that there's a song that's coming on the other side of the captivity. There's a song that's coming on the other side of this madness, of this death. 
She believes somewhere in her heart that there's gonna be a song that's gonna be sung and when the moment comes, Miriam has her tambourine singing a song that the Israelite, that the Hebrew, that the Jewish people still sing today. Our God has victoriously won and thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. You see, guys, I have this feeling, sometimes I feel it in my bones, that God is leading us to a new land, that there's something on the other side that we can feel, that we can feel in the yearning, in the longing, in the aching sometimes, when we see the death and the destruction around us, when we live in a time where like our kid's gonna make it, all those kind of things. There's this movement that God has us in and we will remember our heritage. We'll remember our old songs. We'll bring the bones of Joseph. But I need somebody to pack the tambourine. I need somebody to think I'm gonna be the one who's gonna remember to sing. God is going to pull us through. Whatever you're going through right now, there is a song that will lead you through. But some of us are gonna to have to be prepared to celebrate when God does what God said he would do. So a way of saying that is we will sing when we look back. You can sing when you look back and praise God, and we'll do that. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Take my hand, precious Lord. We'll sing these songs. We will look back and praise God. And we'll also sing as we look forward into the future. We'll sing as we look forward with expectation, with courage into the future. And maybe today, We'll just sing when we're in the middle of it. We'll sing right in the middle of it when the sea is on either side. Here's our song again for today. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, amen? I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. (laughs) Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light, take my hand. Precious Lord, lead me home. Many of the songs that we sing in the church, many of them were actually written in the darkest moments of the author, were written in tragedy. This song was written by a man named Thomas Dorsey in 1932 after learning of the death of his wife and his son. Thomas Dorsey is known as the father of gospel music, meaning he invented it. But before he was the father of gospel music, he was a great jazz musician in Chicago. And before that, he had learned the blues in his homeland of Georgia. Thomas Dorsey uh, became this great musician in Chicago. Everybody knew him. He wrote a thousand songs. But he had a moment when he encountered Jesus during an illness where he thought he was going to lose his life, had a radical conversion and committed his life to writing songs for the Lord. And that's when he began to take the scriptures and the faith of his people and connect them, this voice of the oppressed people with the music that he had learned, the blues and the jazz. He became pre-civil rights, a guy who created publishing houses that got the black music out out into the world when it had no other avenues. He was a very famous musician. And the song, the writing of his most famous song came on an occasion when he'd been invited to St. Louis to a festival. He was the featured soloist. And he said that he sang over and over. They kept calling for him to sing song after song after song. But when finally he went back to his seat in the hot sun of St. Louis, he sat down, a Western Union uh, telegraph was handed to him. He said he ripped open the yellow envelope and in all caps it says, your wife just died. 
So he immediately left St. Louis, his wife, nine months pregnant, and he went back to uh, Chicago and found that his son was still alive in the hospital. And the night that he arrived, his son also died. And so Thomas Dorsey says that he took his beloved Nettie, his wife, and his son and buried them in the same casket. And he said, for him, all hope was lost. He said, and I quote, he said, I closeted myself, closeted myself for days. I felt that God had done me an injustice. And I told him that I would never write a gospel song for him again. He had a friend who in the time of this grief took him to a neighborhood school one afternoon as the sun was going down. And all he did was sit Thomas Dorsey down, this broken man who'd been hiding out in his house, who'd given up his faith. And he sat him down at the piano. And Thomas Dorsey said, I just put my hands out over the piano. And something inside of him remembered an old tune he said that I learned in Sunday school. He remembered a song of his faith, the tune. And so he says, I just played the first few notes of that song. hundred-year-old tune has the name Maitland. It was another hymn that Thomas Dorsey had heard. But as he sat there, as his fingers just kind of did what they were made to do, he began to write new words that he put with this tune. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. Thomas Dorsey remembered his heritage, brought with him the the bones of Joseph, but he also, we see, had his tambourine. And he was writing a song to lead into a new future. I told you Thomas Dorsey was a famous musician. The week after he wrote that song, the Sunday after he wrote that song, they were singing it as a hymn. The choir of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, sang the song for the first time. The preacher at Ebenezer Baptist Church in 1932 was Martin Luther King Sr. And that hymn became the favorite song of his son, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So much so that the last request of Martin Luther King Jr. before his assassination in Memphis was that that hymn would be played at the service that he was to be preaching that night. But of course, there was no service that night after he was assassinated. And so the next time the song was played was back in the Ebenezer Baptist Church at his funeral, sung by the great Mahalia Jackson. The song became the anthem of the civil rights movement. It will be sung tomorrow in Juneteenth celebrations. It became a song that rooted people, uh, the African-American people, in a place, but also They took it as a march to move forward into a brighter future. And here's what I want to tell you guys today. Our God is going to lead us through this moment. He is going to pull us through. He is faithful to his word. We can take with us the bones of our Josephs who swore unto us an oath that God would redeem us and lead us out. But some of us also need to bring our tambourines because we will not be people who stay in captivity. That is not our 
story. Our story is one of a people that is led out and led through. And on the other side, we sing. So what I'm trying to say to you right now is in these moments when we're waiting, we await with the expectation that one day we'll be singing a song of celebration. That is the hope of those who follow Jesus. We do not grieve or, or fear as those who have no hope. Instead, we move forward. There's a prayer that I like to pray with people that I've learned to pray here at this church, that when they come through communion or we pray out in the lobby, so often people are praying for a kid or praying for an illness or praying for a grandchild or praying for something to get through. And I will say, some of you, I've prayed this with you, I'll say, God, we're praying this prayer right now, but we're looking forward to another time when we stand in this same spot and we give you glory for how you've led us through, how you've given an answer to the thing that we can see no answer for. And so I want you to hold on to that right now in your heart as we sing, as we let this song teach us and let it do something in your bones and your soul as the spirit of God has dwelled in this song, but let it not just be warm nostalgia, let it move you forward in faith to where God is leading you to a moment when you will praise him for how he delivered you in this moment. Y'all up for it? All right, let's stand and let's sing together. Precious Lord, take my hand. Just 
Take my hand, precious Lord.